0: Welcome to the Poultry Health Today podcast, where we talk all health, all the time. Here, engaging interviews with today's leading industry experts. Hosted by Poultry Health Today editors, podcast episodes highlight the latest ideas, insights, and advice to improve poultry health, welfare, performance, and food safety.
1: Hi, I'm Rhonda Pick, Managing Editor of Poultry Health Today. Joining me is Dr. Brian Jordan, Assistant Professor at the University of Georgia. Thanks for joining us.
0: No, thank you for having me.
1: So today we're going to talk a little bit about um, vaccines, uh, specifically best practices with vaccines in the hatchery. I know there's a lot of places where things could potentially go wrong, some pitfalls, uh, specifically with infectious bronchitis vaccines. Right. Um, So let's maybe start out with the prep work where, you know, what temperatures should be people be looking at as far as mixing vaccines, water, what temperatures are are good and where do people kind of fall off the wagon?
0: Okay, so vaccine management really starts when you take the vaccine either out of the refrigerator or out of the liquid nitrogen, depending on what type of vaccine you have. For the freeze-dried vaccines that stay in the refrigerator, you just reconstitute those directly with water, with diluent, and they're pretty straightforward. The frozen vaccines that come out of the liquid nitrogen have to have a little bit more care. When you take those vaccines out, you typically put them in a water bath that's got warm water in it to thaw them fairly quickly so that you can get your vaccine mixed to get it out to the production floor. But it's in that thawing step where a lot of hatcheries actually make mistakes. Um, That water bath does not need to be too warm. These vaccines are very temperature sensitive. So if you have your vaccine water bath set to say 37 degrees or about 98 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, you're really running the risk of overheating that vaccine. Typically what we like to see is a water bath that's set to about 25 degrees Celsius or about 75 degrees Fahrenheit. That way you can take your frozen vaccine ampule, put it in the water bath. It'll take one to two minutes to thaw. Doesn't need to be in the water bath any longer than that. Then you can pull the vaccine out. You can ensure that it's not gonna be overheated and you're not actually gonna do any damage to the vaccine. So that's the first step. But once you get your frozen vaccine thawed or you get your freeze-dried vaccines uh, diluted with your, with your diluent, The next step is to actually make your dilution for the correct dosing for the chicks out on the production floor. And at this step, we want to use chilled water or chilled diluent if at all possible. Now, one of the questions that I often get asked is how cold do we need it to be? Because when I say chilled immediately, people think of frozen or really cold refrigerated water. And that's not actually the case. What we're saying is if you can get the vaccine diluent, that that final dilution down to about 50, 55 degrees to start, by the time you use it in an hour or an hour and a half, it's not going to get any warmer than 65, 70 degrees. And that 70 degree mark is really what you're concerned with when you're talking about your respiratory, your bronchitis, your Newcastle vaccines, Because once you get above 70 degrees, you do start losing tighter on those vaccines. So if you can chill your diluent down to the point where you start with a mixture that's about 50, 55 degrees, you should have plenty of time to use that vaccine before it gets up into a critical temperature range.
1: And typically that time range is? 120 we, minutes or how uh, What we how typically
0: long? say is about an hour, 45 minutes to an hour to use one batch of vaccine. So when you're mixing, you don't want to mix uh, more doses than you can apply in, in about an hour. And that that is typically the case. You rarely see uh, dose mixtures getting getting put together that are going to take longer than that amount of time. But sometimes you have a break where the workers are going break or the processing line gets stopped for some reason. There's an issue with the incubators or hatchers. Uh, and that time where you're not running chicks counts in your total vaccine use time. So and that's typically the only time when you really see an issue as far as using your mixture in the allotted time.
1: So what about if we shift gears and talk a little bit about application, where, where are their challenges in, in properly getting them applied? If you prep them and you, you reach that stage, right? Where, what advice do you have for people in that area?
0: So generally for respiratory disease, and actually this is true for some of your enteric pathogens like calcidia as well, more volume is better, right? We initially applied our respiratory vaccines in the 7 ml volume uh, just because that's the way we had always done it. And based on some research we did several years ago, we realized that we're actually creating a fairly small droplet with that 7 ml application volume. And we're actually losing a lot of our vaccine between the nozzle and the chicks because those droplets are so small, they're influenced by air movement and just aren't heavy enough to really settle down. So we began increasing volumes looking at going to a 14 and then maybe even a 21 ml volume for application. Um, But what we really found out was volume is critical, but droplet size is even more critical because the bigger the droplet, the heavier it will be and the faster it will actually reach the chicks, less influenced by air movement. So if you can do 21 ml, then that's great. A lot of producers don't want to go that, that much volume because that's a lot of water to put on the chicks. So 14 seems to be a good medium that people have settled on. But you want to try to use as large a nozzle as you can to create large droplets. So the follow-up question to that I always get asked is, what size droplet do you want? And I'll tell you that I, I don't know. I don't measure droplets because it's really hard. Uh, these are micron droplet sizes. There's always going to be a range. You're always going to have small. You're always going to have really big. What you're trying to do is shift the average. So if you use a larger nozzle, you shift the average size to a bigger droplet size. And if you're looking, you know, if you're in that uh, three to 400 micron size on droplets, that's that's a good range to be in. And so. And
1: typically the concern with with not going to bigger droplet size is that the birds are going to get, the chicks are going to get too cold or it's not gonna dry out fast enough
0: or? No, actually, so we have another misconception with respiratory vaccination, in that a lot of people think that we are trying to get the chicks to inhale the vaccine because it is a respiratory virus that we're talking about. But that's not actually what we're doing. There has been published research to show that if you get a droplet above about 10 microns in size, the chick can't inhale it anyway, it's too big. And all of the droplets we produce, even on the small end of our scale, are bigger than 10 microns. What we are actually doing with spray vaccination is trying to recreate eye drop vaccination on a mass scale. Eye drop is our gold standard for respiratory vaccination. And larger droplets actually are better for trying to recreate an eye drop vaccination on that larger scale. So it's not necessarily a temperature and it's not even a drying out factor because we've done temperature work as well. And the, the volume can play a little bit of a factor in, in temperatures, but if you start at that 50, 55 degree range that we talked about, there's, there's no difference in uh, chick body temperature once they dry after about 10 minutes. It's, it's really not that big of an issue. Um, but you do see better vaccine takes because we're getting those larger droplets that can get into that respiratory mucosa a lot better than those real small ones do.
1: Yes. So what about when we look at, I know you've, looked, you've also looked into some things with shear force and spray. Um, application talk about in you know, a little bit more of opportunities in that space for people to do better
0: yeah so the common vaccine cabinet utilizes plastic syringes as the force to actually expel the vaccine and it's been that way for a long time uh, and in involved in this research um, as part of the research that we did we realized that the force of that syringe on the vaccine is actually destroying some of our virus particles and actually it's true for coccidia as well it's not just true for respiratory vaccines uh, so it's You have to use the syringes because that is the main force mechanism at the moment Uh, but when you apply the force to push the vaccine out that is relatively an even stroke because it's trying to match the timing of the chick basket moving through it's when the syringe pulls back and refills the barrel to put more vaccine in to get ready for the next next chick basket is where the main force happens because that usually happens as fast as possible creates a lot of turbulence and shearing force inside the syringe. And, it, and if you just sit there and watch the syringes on the cabinet, you'll see those bubbles that are created in that shearing force. So the recommendation is adjust the pressure of your cabinet. And it's not the pressure setting on the outside. It's actually an internal adjustment on how fast the barrel of that syringe is refilled. And all you need it to do is refill fast enough to be ready for your next chest, chick basket. It doesn't have to be as fast as possible. One other thing that can affect vaccine efficacy is chick handling, chick storage after vaccination. So as you mentioned, the chicks do get wet and they do need to dry. It's just evaporative cooling that's gonna happen. But if you don't put your stacks of chicks appropriately positioned around the hatchery, if they're too close or and the chicks get overheated or they're too hot and they, or they're too far apart and they get too cold because fans are blowing on them, they'll huddle, they won't dry as quickly, and the vaccine is not being utilized fully by the chicks.
1: What about storage? I know that's another thing in the, in the mix to consider once you move beyond application, but you know, what are some good opportunities for people to do things better with storing their vaccines?
0: The, the frozen products that are in the liquid nitrogen tanks require a little bit of maintenance because liquid nitrogen is so volatile as it warms up, uh, it, it's gonna evaporate off relatively quickly. So if you have any kind of leak in your tank seal or even just naturally from opening and closing it and getting your vaccines out, you're going to lose liquid nitrogen. Um, One common misconception is if you open the tank and you see the vapor coming out, that it's cold enough. And that's not true because all of your liquid nitrogen could have evaporated and turned back into the gaseous form. And so you still see the vapor, but the temperature is not the same. So you need to constantly monitor your tank, use a dipstick or something, a ruler, so you can kind of get an idea of how much nitrogen you have in your tank. But just make sure that they have enough in them to maintain the temperature that you're looking for, that it hasn't all evaporated or turned back into that gaseous form. Um, On the freeze-dried products, the ones that are kept in the refrigerator, uh, those are typically fairly stable. Um, The the main consideration with the refrigerator temperatures is they actually have a gradient, a lot of them do. A lot of the refrigerators that we see in hatcheries, it'll be much colder by the refrigeration component mechanism. Sometimes that's in the bottom, sometimes it's in the back. If it's a refrigerator freezer combination, it'll be colder by the freezer. And you wanna store your respiratory vaccines in the colder area, because typically those refrigerators also hold your coccidia vaccine or some of your other vaccines. You wanna store the coccidia vaccine in the warmer part because it is much more sensitive to cold temperatures than warm temperatures. So just understanding your refrigerator, what that temperature gradient looks like, and knowing where to place your vaccines in the refrigerator is the most important part.
1: We've been visiting with Dr. Brian Jordan, assistant professor at the University of Georgia. Thanks for stopping by.
0: Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Poultry Health Today podcast. To get the latest news and interviews delivered to your inbox twice a week, subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting poultryhealthtoday.com join.